0: Welcome to Bioethics On Air, the program that brings you thoughtful, in-depth commentary on ethics at the crossroads of science, medicine, and daily life. I'm Jose Lott, your host. We are a broadcast of the National Catholic Bioethics Center in Philadelphia. Catholic healthcare care faces many challenges today in terms of identity, mission, and ethical integrity. Challenges that will likely only intensify given our present political climate. With us today to talk about these challenges and other issues is Jim Spencer, Senior Vice President for Mission and Ministry at Catholic Health in Long Island, New York. Jim Spencer, or shall I say Spence, welcome to our Bioethics
1: On Air podcast. Thank you, Joe. It's great to be here, and thanks for the invitation. Oh, no problem. Great to have you. So I
0: ask every new guest, and you are a new guest on our podcast, I I ask our new guests for a little bit of background information for our audience. So I was wondering if you could uh, tell our listeners a bit about yourself, specifically your education, your work experience, that uh, led you up to your present position
1: with Catholic Health. Sure. There's a short story and a long story, but it is spirit guided. I born in the Midwest, um, Illinois. Grew up in California near the coast. Enjoyed surfing and all those fun things. In college, went to USC, University of Southern California, undergraduate and pharmacy school. Mm -hmm. While I was there, I volunteered at the Los Angeles Free Clinic, which is a clinic near Cedar sinai Hospital, made visits to St. John of God Nursing Home. My priest from high school used to be a pastor in that area and encouraged me to make visits. I remember one time learning a lesson from the security guard at the nursing home. He said, are you a priest or a physician? And I said, I'm... why do you ask? And he said, well, you come often and you make short visits. <laughs> so I thought maybe I should slow down and spend a little more time with the um, folks in the nursing home. And my priest encouraged me to make those visits. And he used to go with me every week. And then he started coming going, coming every other week and then every third week. And pretty soon um, he had formed my visiting habits and yeah. stopped coming so how how old were you when you were doing this i was 18 19 years old Wow, oh, that's <clears throat> impressive actually yeah so i had a great time working at the los angeles free clinic um, really saw uh, how wonderful people dedicated to serving um, people in the community with little resources um, really benefited and I, I actually got the Hubert Humphrey Award, a uh, National Award for Outstanding S- Pharmacy Service to the Underprivileged. It was given to one recipient in the United States each year, and I was the very first. Well, what year was that? 1979.
0: 1979.
1: Wow. <clears throat> so— I also, you know, when I graduated, we did a, besides community pharmacy, which I loved, we provided home infusion services for patients, including in that time in the early and mid 80s, home infusion for persons with HIV AIDS. And I really saw, um, you know, people who were shunned or um, discriminated against because of their disease and nobody really wanting to care for them. when they had a disease that was very misunderstood at the time, so yeah it reminded I remember me of the gospel stories yeah I remember the 1980s when you know when AIDS first came out and
0: just how as you said just how shunned people were absolutely mm-hmm. yeah anyway sorry sorry for interrupting go ahead
1: yeah and and one one situation was very impressive in my early career I, I you know we had an independent pharmacy and we got a call from one of the um, local larger community pharmacies, and they said, you know, we don't do charge accounts. This family has a very expensive $300 medication for their young child, and they can't afford it. They don't have any credit cards, and we don't take personal charge accounts. Could you give them the medicine? And certainly we said, sure. So that was like 9, 10 o'clock in the morning. About 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I would noticed that the family had not come to pick up this prescription, so we called to say that they would deliver it. We, we could have it delivered and they said oh sorry we if with all the congestion and things going on with the baby we forgot to call you and tell you that the baby had died and to me a, you know a 300 dollar medication was a lot of money in the 1980s and still a lot today but it encouraged me to get involved in healthcare economics so i decided to move to vermont And study healthcare economics with and work for Senator Jeffords Jim Jeffords who was chair of the Health and Human Services Committee at the time and I was off to study healthcare economics my first class was business ethics taught by a Catholic priest he and I argued the whole semester (laughs) about what motivated human behavior or what should and he um, really encouraged me to take a moral theology course that summer um, at University of Vermont, they so I moved from California to Vermont, which was a shock, um, oh, climate-wise. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, was taught by Richard Gula, um, uh, and I really got learned to appreciate moral theology, and ended up getting a degree in theology, and then later, a year later, finishing my business degree. And Senator Jeffords encouraged me when I talked with him about. Ethics, he said. You know, go study Catholic healthcare ethics in St. Louis, and uh, don't do, don't be a politician. <laughs> so that's good, that's good advice. That's where I went. Met John Brehaney, um, uh, who helped me with um, uh, some mission leadership work in Iowa at the Sisters of Mercy, now Tr- part of Trinity Health, and we had great time there for seven eight years. He went on to the Catholic Medical Association. I yeah, taught at Continued for a few more years, also taught medical ethics and parental infusion at Creighton University. So I had a good 15 years there. And John called me up later, Dr. Berhaney, and said, Hey, there's this great Catholic system out on Long Island. I think you'd be a good fit there. And so I came here, I interviewed, and my first impression is wow, this place really, really wants to be Catholic with an emphasis on be Catholic. So I had one interview and took the job the next day. <laughs> it was, um, and it's been a a blast ever since. A great place. That's excellent. So I, I, I'm wondering, Jim, and and by
0: the way, John Brahaney, um, I think you mentioned John is our. He's here at the NCBC now. He's our director of institutional relations. So the connections between you and the NCBC are 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 quite deep. Um, And which is a great thing. Chip, tell us a little about, or Spence, tell us a little bit about Catholic Health, your employer. And I'm hearing—I didn't know this until very recently—but Catholic Health is a new name for your organization,
1: correct? Yes. So, tell us about that. So, Catholic Health Services of Long Island is quite a long name, and we abbreviated it to CHS or um some people would say. And, you know, and, and we think of, we're really six acute care hospitals, three nursing homes, um, hospice home care, and uh, a, a center for persons that really reaches out and supports individuals with disabilities. So it's a huge, huge um, footprint here on Long Island. And I think we had each had its individual identity. And we, just, we really thought we should be more cohesive and have an appreciation for the, the great ministry that happens at St. Francis Hospital, a leading cardiac center, Good Samaritan Hospital, a great trauma center on our South Shore, our Mercy Medical Center, which is a really um, in a high-needs area, Safety Net Hospital, St. Joseph and St. Charles and St. Catherine, our nursing homes, um, hospice, home care. You know, we needed to come together under an umbrella to have a recognition of us collectively as Catholic health and be able to describe and and even market some of our uh, gifts that we could share with the community. So. We have a great marketing and communication and strategy team, and they worked hard with the Diocese of Rockville Center, some theologians and priests and um, clinicians to come up with uh, I think, a great um, new logo, um, which really incorporates um, the Eucharist, our approach to humanity, the the cross, and um, what we can bring to Long Island. So we are, Catholic Health. Hard to abbreviate that to CHS. <laughs> you know, you could say, is C, what is CHS? Is that like CVS? You right. know, and, um, and it really didn't give an identity <clears throat> to anybody outside. Um, so Catholic Health is, you know, our umbrella marketing campaign. And we have an HR person. So um, our Senior Vice President of um, Human Resources, Tony Pelicano, he says, we're Catholic, we're proud of it, and we shout it from the rooftops. Yeah. And I think, he, you know, it's HR is a great partner in Mission, and I, I think it's, it's really a good campaign. So there's a lot that went into the detail of our um, logo and how we are presenting ourselves Right, I guess it's a.
0: It's hard to get any more clear than Catholic Health. I mean, that that pretty much says it. It's it's that, that that's yes, pretty pretty easy to understand. I'm wondering how or have you heard? This may be a bit of an unfair question, but have you heard uh, or or have you experienced any reaction from the public? Have have people said, oh, we you know the, the new the new name or the new branding? Has has there been any reaction that you've that you're aware of?
1: Yes. Um, I've heard um, three or four spots uh, of um, you know specific feedback, one in particular in New york in New York we're blessed to have the Mother Cabrini Health Foundation mm-hmm. mother Cabrini health Foundation is was set up as it's one of the largest could be the largest not f- um, uh, foundation private foundation in the country, <clears throat> but one of their staff members, um, Dr. Dan Frisella, who really make sure that the grants that the Mother Cabrini Health Foundation gives are aligned with Catholic values. So this is a public not-for-profit foundation that gives grants to health care with specific tasks, uh, specific you know populations to serve uh, in the state of New York. And they They give grants to not just Catholic entities or ministries, but throughout the state of New York to help the poor, the vulnerable. Um, And Dr. Frisella, we were on a conversation with with them about some COVID-related grants. And he said, oh, I heard your marketing campaign and Catholic health. I'm very, very impressed. Uh, Another is um, Father Charlie Bouchard from the Catholic Health Association when he heard we were changing our name, he was hoping that we wouldn't go with um, I, I I I don't know what a, one of those um, I would say nondescript names. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I know exactly what you're talking about. And he said he was very happy to hear that we are um, Catholic Health and proud of that. It's right. it's kind of tough in an environment where you know um, Catholic gets. Um, uh, There's there's challenges. There's challenges to the word. Yeah, yeah. It's not easy being a Catholic
0: uh, or a a faithful practicing Catholic in the world today. So
1: and the macro fit, you know, the fit with the macro society is, you know, sometimes challenging. So uh, we're 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 proud of being Catholic. Excellent. All right. So Spence, you
0: are the senior vice president for mission and ministry at Catholic Health. So. I guess the question is, what does that mean? So, what what are your what are your responsibilities in this position, or or kind of what do you do in this job?
1: Yes, so it it's really mainly promoting Catholic identity, explaining what that is, um, working with you know we have big campaigns to um, um, work on formation for leaders and future leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, history of Catholic health care, why we exist, our purpose, understanding Catholic anthropology, um, ethics, reaching out to the community, so community benefit. Key issue is spiritual care and how we are um, reaching out and meeting the spiritual needs of our patients of all faiths. Um, Or no faith, Um, you know, we get a lot of patients who come in in the hospital, and when they're asked their religion, they say none, or spiritual, not religious, but we have well-trained chaplains. So it's really basically um, Catholic identity, formation. What is that? Because, you know, it's easy to be, uh, to say you want to be Catholic, but how do we manifest that? I know the... NCBC has a Catholic identity and ethics review. Um, Ascension went through their Catholic identity matrix. I know there are other um, um, ways to assess that, but we're really, uh, I was, when I first came here and interviewed with Father Peter and Monsieur Morrissey, they said, you know, Catholic is more than we don't do this and we don't do that. And we have mass and, um, uh, we just do everything else like everyone else. So having people recognize what they do every day is part of the mission.
0: Yeah, And we're but going to talk about
1: what we do is just as important
0: as what we do. Yeah, Exactly. Um, I, I do want to come back to you. You mentioned chaplaincy and I'd like to come back to that a little bit later, but I, I, I always ask this question to people because it's, it's kind of a fun one. What is a Spence? What is a, a typical day, whatever that, however
1: you want to define <laughs> that, but what does a typical day look like for you? so sometimes a typical day is you know we are working on improving our ethics committees or our responses and so we'll have um, ethics committee meetings um, sometimes we will have ethics consultation uh, we have mission and ministry um, committees at all of our hospitals and so we'll try to in incorporate that sometimes, you have your plan for the day, which would, could be all ethics. Um, and you end up doing community benefit, you know, or outreach or, um, the day, um, is so variable. And what I think is, you know, having these different degrees in different fields, um, you know, pharmacy, business, theology, ethics, um, I get to use every one of those. Right. Um, sometime during the year. So it, it, it's really good. And, and one of the things was, you know, we were talking about employee benefits. And again, our great human resources person, we said, you know, why are we charging health insurance premiums to our employees equally? So it, it doesn't matter if your income is $100,000 a year, or $40,000 a year, you pay the same um, insurance premium in our employee benefits. So we worked with HR, did some calculations, and we came up with a stratified um, option to our lowest paid workers paid zero for um, their insurance um, premiums taken out of um, their paycheck. and higher paid executive. So it was kind of a gradual. Um, and, and to to me, that decision reflected our mission and trying to bring the best value of being an employee at Catholic Health. By the way, we were, Modern Healthcare is one of the best um, employers. Um, and I think the only healthcare employer on Long Island to receive that recognition.
0: Wow,
1: congratulations.
0: So Spence, the NCBC has a a pretty good relationship with Catholic health. Um, I've only been here for well, a little over three and a half years now, but uh, I've, I know that this this relationship has gone back ways. I if you could talk about that a little bit. What uh, Talk about the relationship between Catholic health and the NCBC.
1: Yes. So we have a very, very committed bishop. Um, we are sponsored by um, the Diocese of Rockville Center and four founding congregations, kind of make up our the history of our system. But Bishop Murphy and now Bishop Barris were very, very um, um, key to building that relationship with the National Catholic Bioethics Center. And that made it very easy. Our health system has a retainer with the National Catholic Bioethics Center for education and formation and consultation. Um, we do rely on the National Catholic Bioethics Center quite a bit. I think we've sent over sixty people through um maybe not quite sixty for the certificate program, yep. but we have several who have gone through the weekend seminars mm-hmm. and it it's just a great relationship. I th- think the n c b c has come spoke to speak at our ethics day we have an annual ethics day so from a a um system, Catholic health system perspective, we have a strong relationship with the National Catholic Bioethics Center. Personally, you know, I'm um, good friends with Dr. Brihaney, um studied with him in St. Louis. Um, when I taught medical ethics at Creighton, Father Tad came out and um, we had some good discussions and he presented at Creighton as well. Uh, Dr. DiCamillo, I studied with him in Rome and really... He was a great value because he spoke Italian. Um, <laughs> yes, and he does. Hard for us to read Cardinal at, um, um personalist bioethics in Italian without um, <laughs> Doctor De Camillo's help. He eventually, with John Miller, translated that into English, so it's much nicer. But really, phenomenal partners when we had the oh. Allocation of scarce resources during the height of the COVID. The NCBC was very, very instrumental in helping us craft a a policy. Um, When we have tough ethical situations, the NCBC is always there. Um, So you've been training our folks, um, um, serving as consultants, and really it's a phenomenal relationship.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for the commercial there, Spence. Appreciate that. But... uh... (laughs) Uh, actually, I, I have to let you know too that um, we, when when people ask us about model Catholic healthcare systems, you guys are on the top of the list for that as well too. So it's the relationship goes both ways. So it's 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 a good thing. So so moving on. So we mentioned you you had mentioned earlier, and I said I wanted to come back to it. Uh, the the issue of chaplaincy, and I, I was wondering just kind of starting off, I was wondering, can you tell us what what role does chaplaincy play in Catholic healthcare?
1: Yes. So I think, you know, to have a strong Catholic identity, I think you have to have a spiritual grounding. I think, you know, in that understanding of body, the human person is a body-spirit entity. So I think we are really pushing board certification of our chaplains. We have 91% of our full-time chaplains board certified. We have a phenomenal clinical pastoral education program. We have Father Jack Crabb, who's a Jesuit, um, who leads our program. We have um, Katerina Mako, who is a um, Fordham grad, who's really uh, in charge of spiritual care for our system. We do a lot um, with making sure that our chaplains are well-formed and capable of addressing the spiritual needs of all patients and um communicating well and contributing to the healthcare team and how spiritual care can improve those those outcomes we're really pushing our chaplains to have greater ethical awareness and be involved in some bringing ethical issues to the surface and being advocates for um those situations true to the catholic tradition right. yeah Interesting question
0: for you, and and I I wonder how you kind of navigate this. I I was sort of in your position for a a short amount of time at at Mercy Health, so I I, don't—I have a little bit of experience with this, but certainly not to the extent that you did. Now, we had chaplains, and I'm sure you had chaplains as well, who uh, who were from numerous different denominations, mostly Christian denominations. but being Catholic Health, obviously being a Catholic Health facility, how do you how, how do
1: you form
0: your chaplains, particularly those who aren't Catholic?
1: Yes, so we have a very, you know, we're we're proud of, you know, APC and um, NACC and NAJC are approved certifying bodies, mm-hmm. and we work with ACPE to make sure that our program is accredited. I think we're accredited for eight more years. <clears throat> but we make sure that we're grounded in a Catholic understanding of the human person. We make sure that our chaplains who are other than Catholic are able to appreciate the, the sacramental needs and commitment of the Catholic um, patients. And we also make sure that uh, our all of our chaplains are able to ministered to persons of all faiths. So we have programs where we have 100% of the clinical pastoral education education is um, clergy. Sometimes it's 100% priests, Sometimes it's a mixture of lay um, and others. Sometimes it is um, predominantly um, uh, other than Catholic Christians. Sometimes we have... um, other than Christian uh, folks in our CPE program, and the dialogue amongst those is very, very forming. But we do make sure that there's a good understanding of the sacraments, because some of these patient, some of these chaplains may work at other than Catholic health um, hospitals right. and need to be able to or need to know how to um, provide spiritual care to Catholics in those settings. Oh. So yeah. it's um, we do a lot of um, Formation with our extraordinary ministers of holy communion and our spiritual care companions or spiritual volunteers. So, so I think it's you know our clinical pastoral education program is grounded in um, a Catholic understanding of um, body, spirit, entity, and the uh, human person in light of Christ. But we do um, explain that in dialogue with people of all traditions um in our formation interesting now i'm going
0: to assume that chaplains are probably ministering mostly to patients i may be making the assumption there that i shouldn't but i'm I'm going to make it but do your who in addition to patients do your chaplains minister to if anyone
1: yes so we're really discussing that more now especially during covid you know a lot of um the staff re- needing, you know, everybody's talking about resiliency and burnout. And so providing for the spiritual, ne- spiritual needs of patients, family, staff are very, very important. So, right. <clears throat> especially staff, I got to think this, the staff, particularly in, you know,
0: in Long Island and just New York, having been hit so hard with COVID early on, uh, I, I can't imagine the, the, the issues with, with some of your staff members.
1: No, and and I do know one year we after about seven years we took a um a hiatus one year from our ethics day and we co sponsored a retreat with the catechetical leaders of the diocese of Rockville Center and the nurse leaders of Catholic Health. Huh. And that was an amazing weekend. We had um Bob Wicks come and do a lead us in a, a day of reflection and it, it was amazing well said.
0: All right, so that that kind of that's the background part part of the interview. Let's kind of move a little bit into the I like to say the the meat and potatoes. So, so Spence, either philosophically or practically or both, how do you seek to uphold Catholic identity and mission in healthcare?
1: Yes. So, I think we have structurally, we have set up a situation where our hospital presidents, our home care presidents, our nursing home executives, are considered the mission leader for the that local entity, that local ministry. So there's no mission director or mission leader specifically designated in a hospital. It's it's the it's the CEO or the president. Yes. Okay. And those hospital presidents meet every other month with and form a board committee um, called the Mission and Ministry Committee of the Board. And we talk about Catholic identity, how do we manifest that, how do we lead with Catholic identity, promote Catholic identity, and we have some good discussions. And then our hospital presidents and other leaders at the local entities have the ability to influence culture. Right. Oh yeah. So they they bring that back. So that structure has some pros and cons. Sometimes when we come to the meetings, you know, the the hospital president relies on the director of pastoral care or the community outreach person to kind of keep them in the know of what to what are the highlights to report of what's going on at the local entity, because they're very very busy. Right but it's nice when the hospital president is asking those questions about Catholic identity at the local entity. And then we share best practices. We have good dialogue about, you know, I think of, um, I, I like the Vatican II documents. Um, and I like the fact that Lumen gentium and Gaudium et spez, the church first needed to know what the church is before it could be the church in the modern world. And so we have good discussions about who are we? Why do we exist? What do we want to be? So we know our own identity, so we can bring um, that identity and the light of Christ to others through our healthcare ministry. And how do we do that every day? And how do we highlight and point out that what happens in the cafeteria? What happens at the bedside? What happens in the hallways? What happens in the um, budgeting process? Is all part of mission. Right. So having um, so though it's good with that commitment, but hospital presidents especially nowadays are so so busy yep. that um, it is nice to, to for them to get together and um, reflect on. Um, what it truly means to be a Catholic healthcare minister. And we're always discussing how to make that distinction and improve on it. Yeah, it's interesting. As you were
0: speaking, I was thinking back
1: of um, there were numerous uh,
0: hospital presidents and CEOs who I've 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 met and known, and and I I just wonder if does the fact that. Catholic health is the model is set up so that the President is the mission leader. Does that make it difficult for you to find, recruit, whatever, a new hospital president when one is needed? In other words, I, I would think that you would you might run into situations where you would have a viable candidate who could, you know run the business end of of the hospital very well. But may you know may not be well formed, or or just I mean, in all honesty, may not care about mission or identity, and I'm and that would it it would sound as if that would disqualify that person. And I'm just wondering if you've ever run into any difficulties filling those types of positions.
1: Um. Yes and no. (laughs) (laughs) So. That's a definitive answer. I like that. (laughs) before I was here, I think we had um, what I would call a revolving door, yep. and hired the wrong people for the wrong fit. Not in my position, but in you know some key leadership positions. Yep. And I, and I think we're we're very blessed to have our system president, Dr. Alan Gersey, who's a research cardiologist and a brilliant man and a man of great integrity, who is not Catholic but very 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 committed to Catholic identity. And really, of system presidents, he has read Veritatis Splendor. He's reading The Social Good of Business. He's reading all kinds of things, and he understands And when we have, he understands the church teaching. When we have discussions about collaboration or questions from the, and we reach out to the National Catholic Bioethics Center, when we could go, one way or another way both um acceptable responses he always takes what dr d camillo calls a true witness to the catholic faith in his decision and i'm very very impressed with him as a leader he's he's one of our first he's our only system president who has will have retired in his position, others have <laughs> left the organization. <laughs> um, um, so he's truly a gem, and one of the better, the best bosses I've had in in my career. So he um, he lives that. We are searching now um, for his replacement, and it has been made very, very clear to the search committee <clears throat> that this person will be the successful candidate will be very committed to mission and Catholic identity as well as have other skills and um, knowledge. Yeah. It looks like some big, big shoes to fill there. Oh yes. Yeah.
0: So Spence, what, uh, talk to me about some of the external challenges that Catholic health faces. We'll, we'll talk external and then we'll talk internal, but what are some of the external challenges that Catholic health faces with, with regard to, its Catholic identity and its mission.
1: Yeah, certainly, I would say macro fit with society. Sometimes the Catholic values, I think, in a culture of relativism, where everybody wants to define their own happiness or have that what I call a thin description of the good for human flourishing. Right. Um, that tyranny of relativism, which is um, a term that some folks use, I think, is is very tough to, when you don't understand what I think is the depth of the Catholic position. And, and I, what I use is um, Father McTague, who is a philosopher, Jesuit priest, and he uses a wedding cake analysis. And he says, for you to have a, a moral claim or an ethics <clears throat> position, it needs to be consistent with the anthropological position you have and the metaphysical position you have. So metaf- your position should have alignment, metaphysics, anthropological, and ethics. If those are not in line, it's incoherent. Right. Now he's not saying that just because they're in alignment, you have the answer or the truth, but he, I, I think a lot of people don't appreciate the need for the alignment for internal consistency and coherence. And I strive to teach that that is important and the depth and cohesiveness and internal coherence of the Catholic position when it comes to medical moral issues is well thought out. Yeah. Yeah. So I, so we struggle with um, being asked to provide services that are contrary to our teaching. We're not saying people don't have the autonomy to do that elsewhere. We're just saying, don't ask us to be involved in those. Um, our, we struggle with um, some of the legislation that gets passed that yeah. can be um, aggressive. I think the in New York, we just introduced the physician-assisted suicide. We didn't. It was introduced into the legislature, physician-assisted suicide. So the New York State Catholic Conference, um, the Catholic health um, system, the diocese, we're, we're meeting with our legislators to educate them on that. Um, so we're always having to be catecheticists when it comes to, um, you know, how does this resonate with um, um, church teaching and why is it good for the human person, I think. Um, and how to, how to communicate that in a way that doesn't just seem like, oh, we don't care what you think, but try to explain our position. And um, I think we're we do that with pretty good success. We have a great legal department. There, are many of our attorneys have certificates from the National Catholic Bioethics Center. One, um, in particular, has a master's. Our lead counsel, um, very our former lead counsel, very very grounded in um, Catholic tradition, went to Georgetown. Our current lead counsel, very instrumental in, um, who's not Catholic, but uh, very instrumental in working with the Archdiocese of New York and creating some of the pro-life legislation um, early in her career. So um, I think we do have those challenges. And we I think if we provide other-centered, Christ-centered health care in a way that touches... People at that deepest level of compassion and care, um, as well as the expectation for excellence in healthcare services, <clears throat> we bring people along. Yeah, it's how you how you have the how you bring about the dialogue. It it contrasts to what I say, 1727, when the Ursuline sisters came, and you know, the United States was growing as a country. Communities were clamoring for, please have the sisters open up a hospital in our community because those values resonated and were consistent and a great macro fit with our community. So as values have changed, it it becomes harder, but we need to be um, we need to know our position well and um, be able to articulate it and explain it in a positive way. Yeah,
0: I'd like to just ask you a, a kind of a practical example. I mean, you said some of the challenges that you guys face. I'm sure contraception is because that that's just that's a challenge faced by Catholic healthcare all over the place. You mentioned uh, assisted suicide being introduced in the state of New York. I'm wondering, have has Catholic health been affected by? And I'm, I'm trying. To remember, it was about a year or so ago when the state of New York uh, put into uh, legalize or put into effect a very very incredibly permissive abortion law and in fact you know the governor cuomo you know mm-hmm. lit up the uh the um i know it's not called the world trade center tower but you know what the, the yeah um and I, I'm wondering, building yeah it, well it was uh, the world it, it's uh the, the building
1: that's up oh though. the new, new okay yes
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. but mm-hmm. and, and made you know just made such a, a a big deal out of this that oh my you know we can abort children up to birth and everything else and i'm wondering has that issue impacted Catholic health at all?
1: Well, we have, um, we don't employ many obstetricians, gy- gynecologists, or OBGYN physicians. We do employ some. We have maternal fetal medicines, contracted services, and we employ a phenomenal, uh, a few phenomenal, um, gynecological surgeons. We have a Gianna center, um, uh, with three Gianna physicians, uh, we also have, the bishop has reconstructed our and established uh, what used to be um, our pro-life office to um, the Office of Human Life, Family, and Bioethics. And so we're very, very active in education on issues. We're working with um, the National Catholic Bioethics Center, Dr. Behani, in particular, our Women's Health Services line to have a better response to abortion-minded couples or women. And not just say, have the baby, don't do this, don't do that. To see what are the reasons people feel almost forced at times to make that decision. And we want to have a response to that in collaboration with Catholic charities, um, our Catholic colleges, Catholic high schools. And I think um, we're going to play a part to um, um, create something special. Our Chief Operating Officer, Dennis Verzi, been in Catholic for um, Catholic Health Ministry for most of his career, if not all, um, leads those initiatives to establish three Gianna Centers on Long Island, um, or actually we have two on Long Island and one in Manhattan, Mm -hmm. and is now leading a, a pro-life OBGYN um, service line, women's health service line um, that will have primary care and obstetricians and be able to respond to crisis pregnancies in a way um, that are a standalone free crisis pregnancy couldn't, um, couldn't do. So it's, um and it's not, you know, it's, it's just, all-encompassing in the way we do things, and I think Dr. Carpentier, one of our Gianna physicians, when somebody's diagnosed with a pregnancy, um, his his response is congratulations versus, oh my gosh, what are you gonna do now? Um, I, I think that's uh, you know that just initial approach, and we're here we're here for you even when this pregnancy is unexpected. We have a phenomenal um, Mercy Family Care Center. That it is like um when we get a call from somebody who's in need, we give them physical um um medical services, spiritual care um psychological services we collaborate with and connect them to um, um housing or other material resources so it's um it's a comprehensive approach but we're we're not perfect at it, we gotta get better, yeah, yeah. Welcome to the club, because we're not perfect either. So, Spence, we've talked about uh,
0: external challenges with regard to Catholic identity and mission. What are some of the internal challenges that Catholic health faces with regard to, again, the same issues, Catholic identity and mission? Mm -hmm.
1: So getting people to appreciate Catholic identity and what they do every day is one um, that takes a little bit of work getting to know folks, and um, another is faith formation, especially for leaders and board members. And our nursing staff are phenomenal. They really create the culture. One thing is that um, getting over having to apologize for being Catholic, I think, is. um, um, and I don't mean apologetics in in that way, but um, maybe I do. Um, You know, our bishop has changed the way um, we do religious education in our schools and it's heavily apologetics. Mm-hmm. Um, he he believes that our, our youth need to be able to defend the faith um, as they would be exposed to criticisms and harshness and um, dialogue when they graduate and go out into the world. So he's doing his part. We're doing our part. We're working with um, the... Um, Office of Faith Formation and um, Missionary Growth to um, do faith formation for our leaders. We're reaching out to you know uh, other places. We're developing experts who can talk on different things like Catholic social teaching, medical moral issues, the Healing Ministry of Jesus, history of Catholic healthcare. Um, so we've got some piloted programs we've done with uh, 50 of our leaders our organizational development person talks about employee-driven innovation and uses the term subsidiarity and solidarity. Um, So um, who happens to not be Catholic, but really has taken a liking to the appreciation of that. We do send a lot of folks to um, uh, ethics education and mission formation um we have a few people going through the certificate program at Aquinas Institute in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. We have some getting a master's in mission leadership. We have a goal of twenty four people with master's degrees in bioethics um, heavily weighted to the Catholic tradition, although we encourage people to attend others we don't we want a diversity uh, we want to create a community of scholars for for ethical issues and have a good um, um, perspectives. So I think, but I'd say if it's an internal challenge, I would say faith formation is probably the one issue facing Catholic health, um, specifically around Long Island and Catholic health across the country in general. Uh,
0: Yeah. I was just gonna say the same thing. You're, You're listening to you. I don't, I don't think what you're saying is unique to Catholic health on Long Island. It's, it's really, it's an issue across the
1: board. Um, so Another thing is those micro losses. You know, certainly, what we do during Advent and Lent are are nice. Um, just to have a prayer before a meeting is 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 nice. But all those um, practices and rituals add up, and and I think we need to be mindful of um, those kind of things. <clears throat> micro losses pay attention to those micro losses because they're like venial sins that you know they pretty soon they become i think the catechism says talks about an enormous weight
0: yeah no i hear you i hear you so we at the ncbc we started a couple years ago um tracking our ethics consult because we wanted to see what what you know what are the things people are contacting us about? What are what are we? What kind of issues are we dealing with the most? So I ask kind of the same question to you. What clinical, and then we'll talk on the clinical side here. So what clinical ethical issues or challenges do you deal with at Catholic Health?
1: I would say most often um, our clinicians are most interested in education on end of life issues. Yeah, I, that's what I figured you would say. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, we have um, one of our. Um, Physician assistance is an ethics chair at St. Francis Hospital. He's a, um, director of the cardiology, uh, um, uh, service line there. <clears throat> and he, he talks about futility and I think has actually written some papers for ethics and medics. Um, we have our, um, our lady of consolation nursing home who's really, um, Done a lot of um, self-education on issues involving nutrition and hydration, and morally ordinary, extraordinary um, care and decisions in that regard. Uh, we're very clear with our palliative care. We have some palliative care um, nurses and physicians interested in ethics education <clears throat> with end of life and making sure we're um, we know the difference between killing and allowing to die and Um, sometimes, um, while direct killing of the innocent person is never, ever acceptable, but allowing to die is sometimes morally acceptable and the nuances and, um, other things we struggle with patient autonomy when the family wants to, um, make a decision that's contrary to the wishes that we have documented when it comes to the family, strong, um, surrogate laws in New York, um, healthcare proxy laws. So we have a good legal team that helps educate our clinicians on the legal and ethical. It's nice when they're well-versed in both. Mm-hmm. And we have a, a legal department where, you know, I'm advocating to our clinicians call the legal department that the attorneys are great right. and they're a resource. You know, a lot of, a lot of clinicians get nervous talking to attorneys because they've, You know, they're always um, dealing with the other side of the issue of uh, defending against attorneys. But we have the best attorneys ever when it comes to um, physician contracts and collaborations and the ethical and religious directives are built into every single one of those.
0: Good. All right. So, Spence, what final words of wisdom do you have for our listeners today?
1: Um. Know who you are. Know your mission statement. Um, be grounded, and do the best you can, and appreciate being Catholic. <laughs> I, I I always say I, um, you know I, work at a Catholic health system. I coach at a Catholic high school, and I teach at two Catholic universities. So it's Catholic, Catholic, Catholic.
0: There you go, Jim Spencer, Spence. Thank you for joining us today on our Bioethics On Air podcast. My pleasure. For more information on these topics and other bioethical issues, please visit our website, ncpcenter.org, and subscribe to our publications, Ethics and Medics and the National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly. The views expressed on Bioethics On Air are not necessarily those of the National Catholic Bioethics Center. If you have comments or questions about this or any of our podcasts, or if you have suggestions for future topics, please contact me, your host, Joe Zalot, at j-z-a-l-o-t at ncbcenter.org. For archived editions of our podcast, please go to our website, hover on the Blogs and Podcasts button, and then click Bioethics on Air. Finally, please remember that the NCBC has a 24-hour consultation service. You can contact us by phone at 215-877-2660 or by going to our website, again, ncbcenter.org, and clicking on Ask a Question. Thank you for listening, and may God's peace be with you.